0: Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Now, an American worldview inventory survey last year uh, showed that 54 percent of a sampling of like 2,000 adults from a Christian university said that truth is subjective and that there are no moral absolutes. Well, this, of course, flies in the face of uh, for Christian theological doctrine. It also shows that even people supposedly studying under a Christian worldview are more influenced by a postmodern secularism worldview. And how can that be? You know, I'm not talking about whether, you know, a fact is true or false or, or this is about ultimate truth. Is there objective truth, a standard that exists outside of each one of us that we must mold our life to? Or is truth purely subjective? You know, what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. If that's true, a little chuckle there, we're in trouble because that would mean nothing is inherently wrong murder, suicide, theft, abuse. And if you look around the world today, you will see the effects of a growing number of people who believe truth is what we think it is, or what I think it is, or what you think it is. But there's more to understanding truth than what each of us understands it to be. And Dr. Jeff Myers is president of the Colorado-based Summit Ministries, and his book, Truth Changes Everything, explores how people of faith can transform the world in times of crisis. And he joins me now.
1: Welcome, Dr. Jeff. Lauren, great to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, I am too. You know, um, briefly, what is Summit
1: Ministries? What, do, what what does it do? Well, we we work mainly with the rising generation. We're equipping and supporting them to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. So most of the young adults we're working with are on their way to a college or university where, as you just described in the introduction, they're going to be faced with the idea that not only is there no objective truth that's worth seeking, but the truth is entirely up to each person. Yeah, and yeah. and they're not just talking about your moral truths. They're talking about all truths, scientific truths, historical truths. It's mm. all up to you. You are the center of your reality.
0: Wow. And, you know, that's, it's really important because we are doing all these stories about indoctrination that happens in schools. And it happens as early as, you know grade school and certainly high school. But the college is where it kind of gets cemented because the kids are on their own. You know, there's no there's no mom and dad to answer to. So who becomes their sort of mentors are the professors. And so indoctrination is is, is
1: really what's happening in colleges, right? That's right. Well, there are three thousand some institutions of higher education in the United States of America. I bet you there are only 10 or 15 where that's not going to be the case. So virtually all of them, the professors will be saying, look, uh, truth is socially constructed by us. Mm. Even if it does exist objectively, it's not something we are in a position to know. So all we have are the experiences of our own lives. So the questions asked in class are not things like, how do you seek the truth? The questions asked are things like, well, how do you speak your truth? it's not just how do you how how mm-hmm. do you see it as in what is your viewpoint but what truth what is truth to you you get to decide
0: well and that's got to be an an issue though because if you only have your feelings to compare truth to that is um a very slippery slope because your feelings change so how do you define truth if you have no objective
1: source right well kind of imagine you know i'm from colorado i'm actually in jerusalem as we're having this conversation but in colorado and even several times here in uh, in israel i've pulled out my compass because i need to know which direction is north i'm i'm not trying to position myself so that the little red needle points toward me mm-hmm. that would be you know, i would be more lost if i tried to navigate that way i'm trying to find something that exists objectively outside of myself a north star the you know magnetic north something that can point that that can orient beyond me that then will allow me to to seek the truth so yes if you if you believe that you are your own truth then you're just you're lost and you're you're lost without the possibility of being found now try to imagine uh, hundreds of millions of people trying to form a nation with that idea our our founders in the united states of america were not into that they did right. not say look uh, you know the government is god because uh that's just the highest form of power power is all there is our 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 founders said no no no. the government doesn't give you anything doesn't give you any rights the government at very best secures the rights that are given to you by god if you lose the idea that there is uh, that god exists and that there is a way to understand what it is that he wants from us then you're you're profoundly lost. And and that Lauren, you you and I've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. This is a Mm -hmm. profoundly lost generation with Mm seventy five percent of young adults say they do not have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. Fifty three percent say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. And they're privileged. This is a yeah. privileged generation. It's not like they're at war. It's not like they're, you know, starving to death. We have everything. And yet, because we don't believe there is, is any possibility of knowing truth, um, we find ourselves at this this place of profound uh, I would say, anxiety and uh, you know, all of those things that really make it tricky for us to navigate not only our own personal lives, but any personal relationships, being citizens or anything else.
0: And something else is on the rise with those young people. The suicide rate is actually increasing um, and no one's drawing the the, the, uh, the parallel between their lack of understanding of truth or thinking that there is truth out there and the the rise in suicides.
1: In uh, suicides and, and also addiction. Yeah, uh, you know my my son is a drug addiction counselor, and uh, he and I talk about this regularly. And I'm passionate about communicating this whenever I have a chance in the media. But addiction is on the rise, continuing to be on the rise among young adults, and and many of these young people have addictions they will die from unless um. they can somehow get get healing and you remember m scott peck from the 1970s wrote the book road less traveled yeah uh, there's a lot i disagree with about that uh, with that guy but i'll tell you he pointed out something that i think is really significant for us to understand he said nobody recovers from addiction or any kind of mental health struggle unless they can first of all acknowledge reality as it actually is reality capital r
0: yeah. You know, so let's define truth, because we've talked about it a little bit. You talked about the compass and the true north an objective standard. But let's define what you mean by truth, because, you know, we're not talking about something, you know, a fact can be true or false or that kind of thing. But what are we talking about when you talk about truth?
1: Well, for up until the last couple of hundred years, people uh, around the world understood that truth means what actually is. Mm-hmm. So truth is reality what what's what's out there independent of us and that's a key thing to understand when I'm asleep it still exists when I'm not paying attention it still exists Lauren when I'm deceiving myself it still exists that's the classical definition of truth and people have through time thought there are two ways that you can arrive at it first you can use reason You can think your way to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you you can look at, you can do scientific experiments. The world is stable. It's not chaos. It is orderly. It's designed. And because of that, we can do an experiment at time A and an experiment at time B and know that we're experimenting in the same world so we can, use, we can use reason. The second thing is revelation, that there are things that are revealed to us by God, by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. Uh, that's the, the the Christian tradition. Other people have other kinds of revelations they think about, but something that humans probably can't understand to access truth unless someone who knows a whole lot more guides us.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the scripture, and I know we're going to get to uh, why does Truth matter, but it reminds me of the scripture of John fourteen six Jesus answered and said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, this is a hard reality for most people to to understand, but but before we get to that, why does truth matter?
1: Why should it matter? well, it, it matters, Lauren first of all personally, for us, that when when Jesus said, "'I am the way, the truth, and the life' It, it it's an echo of what the Greek philosophers had been looking for Jesus grew up in a world that had been Hellenized uh, so the Greek philosophers were quite well known even to people in Judea and they they said look if, if you can there are three things you got to understand if you can understand these three things you'll know what the meaningful life is what is what is good what is true and what is." Beautiful. Those are the three things they're looking for. So when Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the light," he was in essence saying, "I am the answer to the philosopher's quest." So mm-hmm. truth matters because it is the basis of everything. You think about how do you make how do you make any decision at all? The, the average American, I'm told by Jim Clifton from the Gallup Organization, makes ten thousand to twenty thousand decisions a day, every day. Mm. Some of the decisions are little, you know, what will I have for breakfast? Will I have eggs or not? Other decisions are big. Will I treat this person as if their life is meaningful or not? Will I use other people for my own advantage or will I give? Will I have a me first or a you first mentality in any given situation? Good societies are developed when you have a you first, not me first mindset, which is reminiscent of what Jesus said when he said, if anyone wants to be first, you must be the very last and the servant of all. So you can find truth. You've got to have a position of humility, and you've got to realize that you're part of something bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, having your own YouTube channel uh, when you're like, you know, 15 is not exactly putting other people first. Uh, Because that's kind of what young people are sort of driven by, you know, how many friends they have on social media, um, you know, people they don't even know, but people who follow them. Um, You know, we are in the Advent season, you know, talking today, um, and, you know, we're preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So the question is, how does Jesus' entrance into our world change our understanding of truth?
1: Well, think think about it this way, Lauren. If if let, let's say we have a country and we, we find that there's an enemy, uh, we have another country that wants to go to war against us. Well, how do we how do we relate to them? We don't just write, type out long letters and send them to them. Mm-hmm. We go there. We we go to them in person. We send a diplomat, someone who represents us, who can go and say, "Here's who we are. Here's what we are trying to do." And in the Advent season, we celebrate what Christians call the incarnation, the putting on of flesh, that God, who is spirit, actually became a man and dwelled among us. And as the Apostle John said, we beheld his glory, we observed his glory. And that that's more than just you know, obviously giving presence more than just saying, well, this is a season where we're going to try to be kinder to other people. This is, no, no, part of the way we can know that truth actually exists is that truth is a person. It's not just a set of historical facts, not just scientific facts, facts, not just logical propositions, not just mathematical formulas. Truth became personal, and it came to us to show us the way.
0: Um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. When I come back, I want to talk about some of the, the specifics of how truth actually changes us and has changed the world. We'll be right back with Dr. Jeff Myers.
1: Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download
0: from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at Foxnewspodcasts.com dot com or wherever you download podcasts. And we're back on the Lighthouse Faith um, podcast with Dr. Jeff Myers, talking about his book, Truth Changes Everything. It's how people of faith can transform the world um, in times of crisis. And, you know, I talked before about the scripture that's when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so it is a person that Christians identify as the truth. So, But let's break it down. I want to use your chapters in the book um, to talk about how, does, how do Jesus followers change
1: Things. How do they change how we grow? Well, it, yes. So, so the book is organized by looking at a bunch of different areas in life where people who believed that Jesus is the truth changed things. And I and I I believe and I demonstrate in the book and I I footnote it all because it is incredible to see that it was these people who believed that Jesus is the truth who changed everything. So, how we learn and grow, we we educate. To educate someone is different than to school them. To educate means, it it comes from a Latin root, duque, which which means to lead out of. So to educate someone means to lead them out of ignorance. Mm. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs from London said, if you want to to have a legacy that lasts a year, plant rice. If you want to have a legacy that, that lasts a decade, plant a tree. If you want to have a legacy that lasts forever, educate a child. Mm. So education then becomes central, and it, it so starting with the idea that Jesus is the truth. People people said, well, if Jesus is the truth, that means truth exists, but it's always communicated in a relational way. Let's come together. Let's have schooling, and the ancient Jews uh, did this as well. It didn't wasn't just an advent the time of Jesus. In fact, Jesus came up in this world. Jesus went to a school with rabbis and he learned about the Bible he learned about God every time the the Jews would build a synagogue they would build a school mm. right next to it because they believed that educating children was going to be the future and if you look at the nation of Israel today you look at Jewish people uh, around the world you find this is a remarkable level of success you know more than it, per, per per person per capita than any other viewpoint well why because they they believed that that you could actually know the truth you had to think about it a lot you had to ask a lot of questions you didn't just give answers remember when jesus was a little boy and he went to the temple yeah he was 12 years he was 12 years of age and the scripture is really interesting in the book of luke luke says that jesus was asking questions and the rabbis were amazed at his answers now Mm -hmm. what's going on there He, he was asking questions but he was giving answers Yes. You demonstrate your knowledge of a subject by asking the right questions about it. That's what was going on. So all of that is part of the Christian tradition. And it affects everything. Even, the, even We couldn't even have this conversation today without it. Let me give you a quick example. John Wycliffe was mm-hmm. a professor at oxford university in the 1300s a lot of people uh, know know about this guy because he wanted to translate the bible into english he said look moses heard from god in his own language the disciples heard from jesus in their own language right. people today need to be able to hear from god in their own language the problem was it was thought that Latin was the supreme language if you translated the Bible from Latin into English it would be like adding curse words every three or four words it's vulgar you just can't you can't do it so in fact there was a death penalty Uh, William Tyndale was actually strangled and burned uh, at the stake because he translated the Bible into English well Wycliffe takes on this project the problem is there's no standard English Hmm. There there are no standard words, there's no real vocabulary, there's no standardized spelling. He develops all of that in order to translate the Bible into English. John Wycliffe uses 1,100 words in English for the first time in translating his Bible. Words we think of all the time, like mystery, treasure, persuasion, communication. Even the word wordy he uses in his translation for the first time. What amazing. It's incredible. The English language becomes standardized, and the standardized English language becomes the trade language of the world. The entire world has prospered because one guy way back when said, I'm going to risk my life because people need to hear from God in their own language.
0: Well, let's move on to something, uh, the area of science, because most people think a lot of, if you would do a poll, most people think that science and faith are actually at odds with each other, which, you know, anybody who studies this understands that they are not. um, But this is the uh, common kind of thought out in the world today. But how, how have Jesus followers changed how we understand science?
1: Well, in the book, Truth Changes Everything, Lauren, I, I go through a lot of, sto- I, I tell a lot of stories, because I believe that our collective memory is really significant. Things from the past inform our present, which helps us shape our future. So we think about, we think about a lot of people, and I tell dozens and dozens of stories. But let me just give a statistic here, because are a couple of facts that I think are interesting. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sacks, who I quoted earlier, said, science takes things apart to see how they work religion puts things together to see what they mean
0: Mm.
1: so science and religion go hand in hand they're not at odds with one another and some evidence of this is really interesting the historian rodney stark was able to show that of the 52 people whose inventions and discoveries constitute modern science only one of them was an atheist only one of the 52. all of the others Oh, well, there were there was another one who was kind of a, a pantheist, but 50 of the 52 <laughs> were believing Christians. Two-thirds of them were what we would call evangelistic Christians, evangelical Christians, because they believed that by doing science, they could help people understand God's nature and character and come to know him through Jesus. Now, yeah. it's a, and people say this is crazy that can't possibly be the case or they might say oh well that just happened a long time ago when pe- when it was culturally appropriate to be a christian that's not true anymore but two-thirds of the people who have ever won the nobel prize in science according to the oxford mathematician john lennox said christian was their affiliate their religious affiliation mm. so it continues to be the case well why would it be the case well uh, according to a Judeo-Christian worldview, there, the world is possible to understand because it's orderly. It's orderly because it was designed. Just in the same way that there's a moral law, there are physical laws, so we can understand it. Second, the world is not God. It is good, but it's not God. You know, if if, if, if it's God, then we don't want to study it because we're, then we'd be trampling on something that is holy. But if it's good and God has created it, then he's actually designed it for us to understand because that allows us to know him better. And you you go right down through all of the key propositions that are the basis of scientific research. Guess what? They all go back to the ideas that are right there in the Bible, this old-fashioned book that... That help us understand the nature of the world as it is. It actually made science possible.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what's really important about the Bible is to say that you know the Bible is not a science book, um, it's not right. a history book. There is science and there is history in it, but the idea is that the book is presented in such a way that it could speak to all people of all times and also of all different kinds of educational levels. Um, so it's it's it, it there is. There is a plethora of understanding and in, in science in it, but it doesn't, it doesn't contradict science. Um, so that's what's yeah. really powerful about the Bible, and I think that's really important. It's just the idea the the real crux of it, like you were saying, is that believers understand that there is an order to this world, and there's an order that is was created by a lawgiver, and that law is um, at the you know, the foundational level of it. I mean, we actually believe it's actually love and law, that that love was, that law is created out of love. But that's the whole idea, just to create these boundaries. I want to move on to politics, though, because this is something that really, really has is tearing apart our culture today. Politics. How do followers of Jesus change how we understand politics and um, how we sort of, you know, work with people who don't believe what we believe.
1: Lauren, a couple of weeks ago, I was giving a presentation on this book, Truth Changes Everything, to 2,000 Christian school teachers. And I said, here's how Jesus' followers change science. Here's how Jesus' followers change art. And then I got to politics. I said, here's how Jesus' followers change politics. The entire audience groaned. Oh, They're no. like, oh. <laughs> like, oh. He, I knew this was a trick to get us to pick sides politically. No, it's not. It just goes back to the realization that it was Jesus' followers who gave us our whole understanding of political freedom. Can I tell a story about that real quick? Sure, absolutely. So Samuel Rutherford was a Presbyterian pastor in Scotland, and he wrote a book called Lex Rex. That's Latin for law
0: is king. king. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, the subtitle of the book is 136 words, so I won't quote that for you. (laughs) The subtitle. (laughs) The subtitle, yeah. 136 words. He makes the whole argument on the front cover of the book. But but, But Lex Rex. So why is that so shocking? Why is that so startling? Because up until that point in time, everybody believed Rex Lex. The king is the law. Whatever the king decides to do, because he has all the power, is what the law is. Samuel Rutherford said, no, no, nope. if you go back to the Garden of Eden, yes, it's true that the king is the heir of Adam, but so are all the rest of us, mm. that the law is, exists independent of the king, and therefore the king has to obey the law just like the rest of us. He wasn't alone in this, the guy who founded international law, the way we think of it, international human rights, Hugo Grotius, a child prodigy, a believer. Same basic idea. Because there is a God, we know that the king is not God. And they, and so Samuel Rutherford was. He got in a lot of trouble. It was King Charles II trying to reestablish the monarchy. Right. He sent soldiers to get him. He said, "Bring him back here to Parliament. We're going to give him a fair trial and then hanging." You know, that was his approach. <laughs> fair trial, then hanging. <laughs> <laughs> then hang him. Yeah, and uh, Samuel Rutherford. Died before the soldiers arrived. His, his, on his deathbed, he said, I have been summoned by a higher authority. Wow. And, and that, was, that was the end of it. After that, the horse was out of the barn. King Charles couldn't any longer claim that, the, uh, that, that he was, that whatever he said goes. Well, the founders of the United States of America looked back at Samuel Rutherford. They looked at another guy named John Locke. But yeah. well, where do those guys get their ideas? They actually went back to the book of Genesis, believe it or not and to the book of Exodus and even Deuteronomy they said the Hebrews didn't have a theocracy in the way we typically think they had a republic they had a Supreme Court they had they had rep, uh, uh, representatives they had all of the things that would mark a, a republic and so how could we have a republic and of the 56 founders who signed the Declaration of Independence 51 Possibly 53 of them were known to have been Christians. Uh, they, they were known to have been members of Christian churches. Now, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Right. Uh, you know, you, anybody could go to church. But, but it, 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 doesn't, it, it shows that they were trying to find a foundation based on who God has revealed himself to be. Not to mandate one particular Christian perspective, uh, but to, in fact, uh, just kind of as a, a rabbit trail here, countries that started with that idea that there is a god mm-hmm. and therefore the king is not god those countries to this day still have the best human rights record of all the, of all the nations of the world well why would they have that why would they protect the rights even of people who are not christians because they believe that every human being is made in the image of god and a good government takes into account the fact that if you want people to change their mind you have to persuade them you can't shoot them you can't beat them. You can't <laughs> put them in there, prison. Exactly. Exactly.
0: When <laughs> I mean, this is the idea of this whole idea of pursuing justice. That comes out of the whole understanding of, of um, you know, that there is a God who is a lawgiver and that we are not God. Although some politicians would, would you know, our campaign as if they were God and that their your life depends on, you know, your salvation depends on uh, electing them, which is, you know, part of the problem, I guess, <laughs> in politics.
1: of course that's a problem yes so uh, uh, and it's not a new problem you go all the way back to the early part of the uh, the time after Jesus hundreds of years after Jesus a guy named Augustine became he became a very well-known philosopher but he wrote a book called City of God against pagans yes and he was facing the same thing in Rome that we face now people were blaming the Christians they said these Christians have not gotten on board with the royal project and so therefore the the Roman system is starting to fall apart and they bl- they blame the Christians and they're going to you know try to set up a whole new persecution of them. Augustine came out and said you need to appreciate what Christians are. If uh, people who are citizens of the kingdom of God always will be the best citizens in the kingdom of humanity because they have an allegiance that is higher than the state. So when the state becomes supreme, what happens? Hitler happens. Stalin happens. Mao Zedong happens. But when you have the idea that there is a God in heaven, and we can't, and he's given us enough information, we can discern what is true and protect the rights of people, then you have good government even though we still, we're still going to fight about politics. Our founders fought about it. They yeah. fought with each other. They, their personalities clashed all of the time. But they started with the core principles. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Then they moved toward good policies. Then they allowed the personality clashes uh, to take place. But today it things, seems like we go the opposite direction.
0: Exactly. One of the things I want to ask you before we leave here is, is just the idea that even today, there I am. Uh, you see Christians who really don't understand their own, uh, their own faith. Um, and is that because the secular worldview, the postmodern philosophy, has infiltrated um, every avenue of our lives that even Christians are, are, are succumb to that, not um, understanding what their own faith really um, says?
1: Yeah, we, we've got a, we've got a few problems. This kind of troubled streams that converge here, and one is exactly as you mentioned. A- another troubling stream that converges is just. A, American individualism. We've come to believe that freedom from is the most important thing. Uh, but if freedom, you know, Czesław Miłosz, who was a a brilliant uh, poet from Poland, s- said, no, uh, uh, actually from Czechoslovakia, I think, mm-hmm. but he mm-hmm. said, uh, he said, look, um, freedom from something is a great deal. Freedom for something is even better. So so you have this individualism that converges here. Then you have the postmodern instinct as just, you know, the you just nailed it right uh, right out of the gate. when We started a conversation today. So a lot of Christians will say, well, I found what works for me. Yeah. They've forgotten that this actually works because it's true. It's not true because it works.
0: Yeah. It's a whole different way of looking at these things. I know. Uh, Dr. Myers, I thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been a wonderful conversation, and um, I really just uh, want to thank you so much. The book is called Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis, and also check out Summit Ministries, um, and uh, just, it, it, you know, if you are around young people or you're a young your person yourself, check it out, because the world is will indoctrinate you into a a, a a thought process, so you've got to understand what is by what authority under whose authority are you living? All of us have to live under an authority um, if it's our own, you know God help you. Um, but you know the idea is that don't think that you don't live under some kind of authority because we do, we all do. Uh, thank you so much for being on lighthouse faith podcast, Dr. Jeff.
1: Well, I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be here. And and Lauren, I just I, I, what I loved writing the, this book because I was able to show in the book, and I firmly believe and am excited that in times of great crisis, even greater crises than we face in, in our own day, people who believed in truth and believed it was personal in Jesus changed things. So we don't ever give up.
0: Right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and thank you all for listening
1: to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day.